Welcome to Asbury United Methodist Church. My name is Pastor Will. Thanks for joining our podcast. This is where you'll be able to find all of our sermons, as well as special devotionals and interviews. We hope these messages inspire hope and bring support as you grow on your journey of faith. If you have any questions, or if you want further conversation, or if you simply like what you hear, connect with Asbury through our Facebook page or by checking our website at asburymaitland.org. Well, in 2004, um, and this may be surprising, it was a little surprising when I looked that up. Uh, in 2004, uh, Will Smith was in a movie called iRobot. Did you all see iRobot? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was kind of surprising when I looked up and it was that long ago that this happened. Uh, but the premise of the story is that uh, Will Smith is a detective, um, and this is a world set in the future, 2035. So we're actually pretty close uh, to when this is supposed to take place, it's like back to the future all over again. Um, but Will Smith plays a detective in a world where robots are pretty common. Uh, they're involved and integrated in the everyday life. Uh, they help out around the house. Uh, they kind of help with, uh, you know, with kind of keeping police, uh, you know, a little bit of crime and helping out and different things like that. But Will Smith is a bit skeptical of robots, and you kind of find out why throughout the movie. But in the beginning, it starts out with the death of the founder of the largest robotics company, maybe in the U.S., uh, maybe in the world. You're not really given that information. Uh, but the founder, Alfred Lanning, you can see uh, his hologram here on the right. Um, and Will Smith shows up to the crime scene, uh, the death, uh, and he starts asking this hologram, uh, which was set in place by the founder, um, to answer some questions. And Will Smith starts asking questions to figure out, like, what's going on here? Um, and the response that this hologram, this program gives, says this. It says, my responses are limited. You must ask the right questions. So there's only a set amount of answers that this is going to give. And so Will Smith keeps going through these questions, going through these questions, trying different ones. This response kind of gets played over and over and over. And then finally, Will Smith asks the right question, and then it responds with this. Now you're asking the right questions. And with us, in our discussion, in God's will, and especially, I think, in suffering, I think asking the right questions is what is going to help us out uh, with figuring this out. And why do we ask these questions? You know, when we ask uh, about suffering, you know, what are some of the questions that come to mind? Call them out real quick. What are some questions in suffering? Why? 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 Why is this happening? Why did God cause this? Why me? Yeah. Why am I going through this? What did I do to, to deserve something like this? Well, another why question. Why do we ask those questions? I think... Because comfort, you know, we're, we're trying to make sense of it. I think we are hardwired in a way to try to make sense of these things. We're trying to find a comfort, a rhyme and a reason to it all, a cause and effect. You know, there's got to be a reason behind this, um, you know, by, behind this craziness, behind this chaos. I think sometimes it's just out of frustration. You know, maybe it's more of a hypothetical question. You might just be asking this, just crying out in frustration, why God, why? Um, and, you know, this certainly takes place when we have natural disasters. You know, what do we call natural disasters? Acts, acts of God. Yeah. You know, when there's earthquakes, when there's tornadoes, when there's hurricanes, when there's flooding. I remember a moment I was asking this question for myself. 
Um, when I was sitting with a mom uh, who had just lost her baby, when she had tried time and time again to grow her family, sitting with her in a hospital room, one of the hardest moments of my life, asking this question, why? I remember asking that same question as I stood leaning up against a wall, a couple feet away in a hallway in a hospital as my dad was taking his last breaths. Why? Why is this happening? Why is this happening to me? Why do I have people in my life who have fathers who are my father's age that are still alive, but yet I can't have a father? Trying to make sense, trying to find comfort, trying to make a rhyme out of the reason. And I think if you've asked these questions, you're not alone. And these questions have been around for thousands and thousands of years. We even have stories in the Bible where the disciples walking with Jesus ask these same questions. But I think one question that might help us in asking is, where is God in all of this? Maybe not asking the why, but asking the where is God in all of this? So we're going to look at a story in John 9. Uh, Jesus is walking along with some disciples, and they encounter a blind man, and they start asking these questions. It says this, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth, rabbi, which means teacher. His disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And so right there, they're asking the question, was it his sins is the reason that God's punishing him? Did he sin against God? So, you know, God's punishing him that way, or was it his parents who sin so that he is causing the suffering? And Jesus actually responds pretty clear, uh, you know, which doesn't happen all that often, but he says this, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. A couple of verses later, Jesus uh, spits on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, to which we say, thanks be to God. So the disciples, uh, you know, there were some beliefs that were held then. They're trying to make sense of this all. Um, you know, was it the sins of this man that caused this? Was it the sins of his parents that caused this? But they were trying to figure out that why. But Jesus responds to them. And I think it kind of boils down to this. It's not so much that God planned for this to happen, but God has a plan in that happening. So God doesn't plan for these things to happen. God doesn't want these things to happen, but God does have a plan within all of this. And so when we find ourselves in suffering, I think a few things that we can take away from this story and some of the other stories in the Bible are a few of these key things that I think are going to help us when we find ourselves in suffering. Is the first thing, we hold this notion that when we follow the Christian faith, when we follow Jesus, um, I think we think it's going to be easy, right? We think it's going to be kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. This is the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, you know, everything is just going to be easy-peasy. You know, maybe even like a relationship or a marriage, we think, oh, this is just going to be easy, right? Married couples in the room, people in relationships, are marriage easy? No. But are they worth it? Yes. Same with the Christian faith. I know some people looking around the room, maybe nudging. Yes, you know, so... Um, it's not always going to be easy, but it is worth it. 
Um, we have this time and time again in Scripture. You know, the, the book of the Bible is not just a bunch of success stories, like, written together, like, you know, hey, this is how easy it is to follow Jesus. No, it's story after story of people who go through struggles. We have a whole book called Lamentations. The Psalms are filled with sorrowful stories and crying out to God. Adam Hamilton, um, he's a pastor um, over in the Midwest um, and also a writer. He says this, The sweeping message of the Bible is not a promise that those who believe and do good will not suffer. Instead, the Bible is largely a book about people who refuse to let go of their faith in the face of suffering. So this preconceived notion that life is going to be easy if we follow Christ, if we do the right thing, I think for us we just need to let that go. Even Jesus tells us in John 16, he says, I've told you these things, you know, he's talking to the disciples again, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. He tells them, it's not going to be easy, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Okay, so it's not going to be easy. There is going to be suffering, but I'm one of those people who likes to ask the question still. I still got to find out. Even, you know, my wife loves that about me when I still try to figure out the problem. She's like, just let it go. It's like, no, I got to find out why. But where do these things come from? You know, why do these things, these bad things happen? You know, why do good things happen to bad people? And why do bad things happen to good people? And I think the reality is that sometimes things just happen. We live in a fallen world. We live in a place where there are bad people. We were given free will to make our own decisions, and sometimes people take that free will, that gift from God, and they use it to hurt other people. They use it for their own benefit, which often puts other people down. But also, what about questions like natural disasters? I'm going to put a disclaimer on here. I'm not a scientist. I don't understand this fully, but I did a little bit of digging into this. You know, we mentioned earthquakes. You know, underneath the crust of the earth, we have magma that shifts around, and there's heating, there's cooling, there's rising, there's falling, and eventually these plates kind of rub up against each other, and when it doesn't happen just right, there's an earthquake. When that happens underwater, there's tsunamis. You know, when certain air meets in the perfect format, there's tornadoes. Heating and cooling, same thing happens with hurricanes. When these waters are just the right temp, meet with this other kind of stream that comes its way, we have hurricanes. God doesn't want this to happen, but I heard one person say, maybe this is the only way our planet can survive. You know, this is the only way for this energy to be released. Maybe this is the only way for this area to finally cool down a little bit. We've even felt a little bit of that here today, a little bit of that cooling that has happened because of the rising temperatures that we see. And so maybe, just maybe, some of these things are just going to happen. But if we push God away when things get real, real bad, I think that's only going to make the problem that much worse. Again, referencing uh, Adam Hamilton, he says this, when we reject God in the face of suffering, we don't change the situation. It only removes our greatest source of hope, help, comfort, and strength that we have. If we push God away, it's not going to take the situation and also make it better. It's taking away the lending hand that's offered to us. I mentioned Liam so many times, and he's getting to the stage where he likes to figure things out, you know, put bottles on his own lid and everything else like that. And I'm always wanting to rush over to try to help him out. And what's the first thing that he says when I try to help him? 
No. Yeah. He knows like three words right now. He knows frozen, milk, and no. Those are like the only three words he knows. So he screams no. And I try to help. No, I'm just trying to help you. No, I'm just trying to help you. And I know he'll get it. I know he'll get there. But that's how God is. God's wanting to come over saying, you know, I want to help you in this situation. I want to benefit you. I don't want you to go through this frustration, but it is happening. I want to help you out of it. When I was younger, uh, I liked to go to a lot, a lot of punk rock shows and, and you know, emo shows. I wish I had a really cool picture. I don't. Thankfully, cameras weren't that popular back then. Uh, kind of erased that part. Uh, but I found myself you know, trying to support the band, so I'd buy merchandise, T-shirts, different things like that. Um, and I got to know a guy who had traveled with a lot of the bands that I liked. Uh, his name was Carlos. I got to hear his story, his heart a little bit, um, and found out a couple years later that he kind of launched this campaign, and that's what I'm going to call it. I don't know if he would call it that, but he launched this campaign called The Suicide Sign. He had had people in his life who found themselves in deep, dark places, and again, this is not something that I fully understand or fully comprehend, but he had lost people, and he made this sign. And whenever he encountered somebody, like maybe from a band or somebody who had gone through a dark place, he had him hold this sign, and they would, and this is what the sign would say. It says, suicide does not end the chances of life getting worse. Suicide eliminates the possibility of it ever getting better. You know, when we find ourselves in those moments, you know, when we hit rock bottom, and I, I can't speak personally, I've never been in one of those situations, but when we remove God's hand that's reached out to us, you know, maybe in a similar situation where people remove the possibility of their life getting better, sometimes that is our only chance of hope, of getting out of that situation. But we can hold on to hope that despite all we go through, God still loves us, and God is still there for us. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Well, I know this has been a little bit more uh, of a downer sermon, so we're going to play a little game. Y'all remember the game Guess Who? Yeah, you had the little tiles, you get the little car, and you ask questions about it. Well, we're going to play uh, a guess who with uh, a character in history and see if you can get him. Um, and I say guess who, but I'm actually going to ask you to kind of hold it to yourself so other people can kind of keep playing along if you figure it out. All right. So here's some, you know, some of the things uh, about this person, and you can see if you can guess. Uh, seven years old, this person's family was forced out of their house due to a legal technicality. technicality uh, making this person kind of having to fend for themselves and get a job for their family. At age nine, mother passes away. At age 22, trying to support his family, he was fired as a store clerk. Age 23, finds an opportunity to go in to become a partner with a small store, takes on a massive amount of debt. Three years later, age 26, said business partner passes away, leaving him with all the debt. Age 28, been dating a girl for four years, ask her to marry him. Any guesses on what she says? Yeah, no, she doesn't, yeah. Uh, age 37, elected to Congress. Two years later, tried to get reelected. Didn't get reelected. Age 41, four-year-old son, passes away. 45, ran for Senate. 
Didn't go well. 47, failed as a vice presidential candidate. Age 49, ran for Senate again, lost. Finally, 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 at age 51, was elected as the U.S. President of the United States. Any guesses? Harry Truman? Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, the 16th President of the United States. Some may say the greatest president we have ever had. Despite all of this, Abraham Lincoln was someone who put his trust in God. He says this, Nevertheless, amid the greatest difficulties of my administration, when I could not see any other resort, I would place my whole reliance on God, knowing that all would go well and that he would decide for the right. Abraham Lincoln, going through all these difficulties, becoming the 16th president, eventually passing the Emancipation Proclamation, which saw six, or sorry, four million people freed from slavery. Four million people holding and keeping his trust in God. And I know it's not easy. I know it's not going to provide all the resolution. But hold on, because it gets better. Romans 8 says this, Paul, he says in verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. Verses later in 37 through 39, he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming, not just a little, not just partial, I mean, this is a full-on victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loved us, and I am convinced that nothing, no nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, can not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. Suffering's not fun. God doesn't want us to suffer. God is a heavenly parent, the perfect heavenly parent that watches over us, cares for us, picks us up when we falls down, fall down, wants to help us. But that doesn't always mean that suffering will make sense. But we can hold on to the hope, just as these words say, we put our trust in Jesus Christ because he is the one that has overcome the world and that love cannot be separated by anything, anything, if we truly trust in him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, we appreciate that you do love us. Despite everything we go through in this life, it's not that you wanted these things to happen, but you are still standing with us even through it all to pick us up, to reach out, to pull us along. And God, even in the darkest moments, I would pray that we would hold on to that hope. We would know that we can trust in you, that we can wholly rely on your love for us. You know, even just looking to the scriptures, because it is a collection of people who time and time again, who have gone through the most horrific things, but held on to you. Because you were not promising, you are not promising us a life that will be easy, but you have promised us a life that will be worth it. And nothing compares to the suffering that we are going through today for the glory that you have for us in the future. Amen.